Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. So let this mind be in you, the mind that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature and form God, did not think his equality with God something to be grasped, but from the love of his heart freely made himself of no reputation, took the form of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why don't we have every tongue in this room confess that now. Let's say together, Jesus Christ is Lord. One more time. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. Yeah, it was almost worth a clap, wasn't it, really? <laughs> a yeehaw, even. Thanks so much to, uh, to Kaz and, and Joel and the worship team this morning, to those who were here in the wee small hours. Special uh, shout-out to poor old Phil Taylor, who's had enormous stress and pressure with the problems with our feed, our electronic feed, to the people at home today. Uh, they just minister without being seen or, or heard. Thanks, Jake, for leading us. Thank you for being with us this morning. God bless you all. We continue our series on Go Deeper. And this morning, we talk about doubt. Doubt. What do these four people have in common? Martin Luther, the leader of the Reformation. C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford University Christian apologist and novelist. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. And Teresa, Nobel Peace Prize winner, and now canonized. What do they all have in common? They all wrote and spoke extensively about their journey with doubt. John Calvin actually said, I think when a man says, I never doubt, it's quite time to doubt that man. (laughs) While we teach that faith ought to be certain and assured, we cannot imagine any certainty that isn't tinged with doubt or anxiety. So all five of them are saying, not only can doubt be a part of our journey, not only will it be a part of our journey, it can be a doorway to go deeper. Doubt can be a doorway to go deeper. Current research confirms this. Recent Barna research In this research project, 87% of the people who called themselves practicing Christians and 95% of those who identified as evangelicals said, our faith has been strengthened by our doubt. Dealing with our doubt has strengthened our faith. We've seen too many examples in the world of dangerous cults that often end tragically and at the centre of that dangerous cult is always some central leader whose word must never be doubted. No doubt is allowed. No disagreement is allowed. Doubt is repressed. And the great theologian Paul Tillich said this, Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's part of it. It's one element of it. 
Pharisaism and fanaticism are the unmistakable symptoms of doubt which has been repressed. Philip Yancey loves to challenge college students when he speaks to them. And uh, Jake today was led by the Holy Spirit to quote from the book of Habakkuk when he called us to worship. Well, Philip Yancey loves to say this to college students, you find me a single argument against God that's not already included in books like Psalms, Job, Habakkuk and Lamentations. God has much more tolerance of doubt than most churches. Our authority, of course, is the Word of God. And in the Word of God, I'm not sure uh, if you know, there's actually a mention of goat. Now, I'm not talking about the farmyard animals. Uh, The word goat has come into our vernacular lately, mostly from the United States, I think. Greatest of all time. Who is the goat? Jesus nominated someone for the goat. If you don't know that, then let me show you. Jesus said, I tell you, no one ever born on this earth is greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist the Great doubted. From his prison cell, he sent messengers to Jesus to say, are you the one? Are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? When the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus was about to ascend to his father, the disciples saw him, Matthew 28, 17 tells us, and they worshipped and some doubted. Now, if doubt is the topic today, there's a Bible character that will come to your mind instantly. His name is Thomas. Poor old Thomas. Just before we have our reading, can I tell you, Thomas, the name has nothing whatever to do with doubt. Thomas is Aramaic, Didymus is Greek, and both mean twin. Very dear to my heart, having twins. So Thomas the twin is our reading today. You'll find it in John chapter 20. It'll be on the screen as well. We'll start at verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, no, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I think if someone's going to appear through a wall, that's probably a very good thing for them to say first up. (laughs) Peace. Shalom. shalom, Elohim. So, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, Thomas. See my hands. Reach out. Put your hand into my side. Thomas said to him, My Lord, and my God. Then Jesus said, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. This horrible label, Doubting Thomas, And we say to people, don't be a doubting Thomas. That was first used around 1883. It would never have been given to him by the early church or by the Greeks. The Greeks had two main words for doubt in Scripture, uh, diakrino and deartso, and neither of them are in this reading. I think 
Thomas gets a raw deal. He really does. All he's asking for is what the other disciples and the women had already experienced. He's simply asking to experience what they had already experienced. When the disciples heard the news from the women who God chose to bring that news of his resurrection, they didn't react any differently to Thomas. The scripture says, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others with them told this to the apostles, but as you can see there, they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. In John chapter 11, Jesus says, we're going to Lazarus. The disciples go, Lord, recently the Jews there tried to stone you. You're going back? What does Thomas say? Well, let's go with him so we can die with him. So why don't we remember him as Thomas the Brave? And not Thomas, because we are drawn to the negative like iron filings are drawn to a magnet. We remember Martha because she was bothered, not because she said, you are the Christ, the Messiah to come into the world, equal to Peter's declaration. We remember Peter for his denials, more than the fact that he's the only human I know of who actually walked on water. And when we talk about that, we focus on the fact that he sank. <laughs> you know, Jesus would never have given Thomas that label. Never, ever. He understood better than anybody, words kill or give life. Words of death never came out of Jesus' mouth. And when he says to Peter, you will be Cephas, the rock. <laughs> Peter was a long, long way from a rock when Jesus said those words to him. See, Jesus doesn't call you what you are. He calls you what he will make you. He calls you what he will make you to be. And I've been really strongly impressed this week that I should say to you in the room today, he wants to breathe that same promise and hope and wholeness and future into you. And he wants to breathe it through you to others. We're called to be a community of life givers, a community of life speakers. Don't ever give someone a label with the worst thing they ever did or that ever happened. Don't do it to someone you love. Don't do it to yourself. Don't find your identity in all your mistakes or someone else's hurt and horrid action. At the center of your life, because he is risen, can stand a resurrected, all-loving, all-powerful Lord. The resurrection, as you go deeper, means that reality becomes your center and what Jesus calls you and Scripture calls you is your identity. We sang it this morning. From the ashes I will rise. I'll rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. But we sing it and we say it. You might be different to me, but man, what a journey to actually internalize it to get it into my system so it begins to come out from inside me, the reality of a resurrected king, to truly assimilate that living reality. And that was at the heart of Thomas's struggle. Thomas is saying, I'm struggling with resurrection. So how did his doubt help him go deeper into Jesus? Well, first up, Thomas had the right doubts. He's struggling in doubt with something that matters. 
Don't struggle with stuff that does not matter. Don't get caught up in what... If you have doubts about that stuff, well, that's a shame, but it doesn't really matter. When we get to heaven, we'll all know. It's like, it's like what does Revelation actually mean? Probably know on the way up. But until then, it's going to, there's always going to be your, your opinion, my opinion, and whatever's right. Uh, it's, it's not going to be fully known. Don't get caught up in that stuff. Paul called it foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law that are, that are un, uh, unprofitable and useless. Uh, the Gospel doesn't say what was in Thomas's heart, but it does tell us. I don't think we should try to guess, by the way. So many commentators try to say why Thomas was doing things. I think if the Lord wanted us to know the why, he would have put it in the Gospel. But there are some things we can see in the gospel that are quite clear. Thomas is clearly struggling with the most important issue of all. Is Jesus alive? See, if he's not, this is religious Disneyland. And we are, as Paul says, of all people, most miserable. Thomas is struggling with that. And we do know that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, guess who he was answering? Thomas. He was answering Thomas's question. So we know Thomas heard Jesus say to him, I am the life. He saw him raise Lazarus. He knows he's dead and in a tomb. And he doesn't know the end of the story yet. But he's struggling in the most important area of all. Thomas is going, I have to know that it's really Jesus. I have to know it's not an apparition, it's not a spirit, it's not a mass hallucination because all you guys just can't accept the reality of what's happened. I need to see, no, no, I need to put my finger into the nail hole. I need to put my hand in the side. That's what it, I have to be that certain. That's what it's going to take. When he leaves Jesus, he can say what John says. Our ears have heard, our eyes have seen, my hands have touched the living word. I know. I wonder when we had that reading, what tone did you imagine Jesus was using? Because tone is everything, isn't it? I always used to think it was a bit of a rebuke, kind of a bit of a slap behind the ear. Listen, Thomas, I don't anymore. I don't anymore. The transformation I've just mentioned, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's loving heart that transforms us. Jesus doesn't say, hey Thomas, just too bad mate, you could have been there, you weren't, it's tough, should have been there eight days ago. No, no, eight days later he comes, it seems, just for Thomas. It's obvious he's heard every word Thomas said, like he hears every word you say, and he does exactly what Thomas asked. The risen, re resurrected Lord says, okay, Thomas, come and look. Come and see. See, Thomas's doubts do bring him face to face with uncomfortable truth about himself. So do I. But Thomas's doubts bring him face to face with that truth about himself when he's face to face with Jesus. So the truth is drenched in grace. Too much truth and no grace is tyranny. Too much grace and no truth is indulgence and God is neither tyrant nor indulgent. But Jesus is full of grace and truth. And Thomas is transformed as we can be facing our doubts. Jesus, I believe, is saying to Thomas, Thomas, do touch me. I want you to know 
I want you to know, know that you know that I'm resurrected. I absolutely want you to be certain. I'm not an apparition. I'm not a ghost. I don't want a shadow of a doubt, Thomas. And Thomas's reaction, my Lord and my God, is one of the greatest declarations of Jesus' status in the Gospel of John. I think when he said to Thomas, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe, maybe he's saying to Thomas, Thomas, I've called you and I've appointed you to bear much fruit. And you need to be absolutely certain of this to bear that fruit. And my goodness me, didn't Thomas bear it? Thomas, tradition tells us, was an enormous evangelist. He, what he did was astounding. Have a look at this map. He, the churches in, there are so many churches, but they include the Chaldean Catholic Church, the Assyrian Church of the East, the early churches in Sri Lanka, and uh, all of those claim, they, they say our, our origins were in Thomas's ministry. And to this day, along the Malabar coast in the state of Kerala in South India, right down the south of India there, people to this day call themselves Christians of St. Thomas. You look at Israel, right up in the top corner of the map there, the top left, and the Kerala coast is right down at the bottom right. It's not bad for a doubter. Our doubts can help us go deeper into Jesus if our heart is where Thomas's heart was. There's doubts and doubts. And our doubts take us deeper depending on where our heart is. If our heart is where Thomas's heart was, it's a doorway. Let's look at the, I've told you the Greek words that are not in this bit. Let me, let's look at the Greek words that are, right? Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. Now, you can see there, the word for believe is pistos. The word for doubt is apistos. And in the Greek, it's so obvious, one is the opposite of the other. You're either pistos or you're apistos. The word is only used, this place in John's Gospel, it's only used one in Matthew, once in Mark, twice in Luke. But it's all over the place in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He uses it to talk about uh, who you should marry and how you should eat with people and and going to court, all sorts of stuff. And what I've got on the screen there is, I think, one of the neatest ways to capture what this difference is. Unfortunately, it's my misprint there. It's not the comms team. It should be 2 Corinthians 6.15. But in the contemporary English version, it talks about the people who follow the Lord and the people who don't. So for those of you who follow Jesus with us, permeating society, transforming lives together, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're the people of pistos. Those who have not yet chosen to follow Jesus are the apistos. Those verbs are in the continuous tense, a tense the Greeks have that we don't. So it actually means a process. What are you becoming? Are you becoming one who believes or becoming one who doesn't? And it's that story again that Thomas is not going, I won't believe. He's saying, I can't. When Jesus says to Thomas, believe, we just automatically, we Westerners, we think that means something mental. I I believe. Okay. Can you believe it? No. Jesus is asking something far more than that. To To the people of Jesus' day, believe was far more than mental. When Jesus says to Thomas, believe, he's asking for far more than mental assent. When he says, put your finger here, reach out your hand, put it into my side, he's actually saying, 
trust me with your life. If you have an Amplified Bible, you'll see that almost always when believe comes up in the New Testament, in the little brackets afterwards, it talks about trust. Trust me. Thomas, trust me with your life. See, deluded people can believe in resurrection. If you've been on the wacky backy or the magic mushrooms, you can believe in resurrection. But we're called to trust the resurrection. That's a lot more. Trust. Trust the resurrection with our lives. Someone at our, we had a lovely silent retreat last weekend at New Norcia, another wonderful time together. And one of the people present talked about seeing a dead log and seeing new life springing forth from this dead log. This is what happened to Thomas. He was caught in a gap between his present faith and perfect faith. I, wish, I found that in a commentary. I wish I could say that was my idea. I'd feel very clever, but it's not. But it's so helpful. I just can't find who, where I found it now, sorry. But there's perfect faith and there's our present faith. And Thomas is caught in that gap between the two. But in that gap, new life can spring forward. How many in the room this morning? In that gap between where my faith, I believe God, wants it to be and where I am. If it's uh, me, some specific things I'm working through at the moment, it's exactly where I am. What about you? And if you're with me, there's a prayer in the New Testament that's just for us. It's the prayer of a father in Mark 9. Now that father brings his boy to Jesus and uh, the father says, uh, no, I want to say this first, sorry. About Thomas, just one more thing. Thomas comes in, talk about the dead log and new life. Thomas comes and eight days on, who's the only person who hasn't seen Jesus? Thomas. He doesn't know what's coming. But eight days later, he's still there meeting with the disciples. Even though he's the only one that hasn't had the experience, he's still there. See, Jesus still has his heart. Thomas wants to believe. And his growth is going to be moving from I want to to I do. Now to this father who brings his son to Jesus. I'll put his prayer on the screen. Jesus says to the father, everything's possible to those who believe. And the father says, Lord, I believe. I pistos, help me overcome my apistos. Do you relate to that this morning? Lord, I believe. Just help my unbelief. Help me move from the bottom of the screen to the top. And if that's where your heart is this morning, this is the chance for your faith to grow. That's why Jesus said you only need a mustard seed, because they grow. Don't matter how tiny it is right now, if your heart is, I want it to grow, then I'll grow it. This struggle for Thomas and for me and for maybe for you, uh, it's the birth pangs of deeper faith. From where I am to where you're calling me to be. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This is where doubts can diminish, faith can grow. There's another effective image for this, and that is the one that we've used all the way through this series, the diving board and somebody standing on the end of it deciding. That point of decision. Do I dive and go deeper do I walk off the back of the board? Well, 
on my own, I'll just stand on the board and eventually, sadly, I'll very walk off the back. Because it's the resurrected king who has to resurrect me. We sang in another one of our songs today, it's the Holy Spirit who does this, who is the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper. The Spirit needs to do it. And I believe there are many sitting in this room this morning, many of you, and you know the Spirit is calling. You know through this series the Spirit has been calling you. And there are legitimate doubts in your mind. But He's calling you to go deeper. And this morning the question is this, wouldn't it be tragic if we had this whole series go deeper and at the end of it I was still standing on the end of the diving board? Wow, what a waste. He's not calling me to stand there. He's calling me to dive, to go deeper. First time I experienced this Holy Spirit coming in and doing it was when we, Merle and I first, well I first surrendered to Jesus. I think she always was. No, I know she always was. I reckon the most boring job in the world would be Merle's confessor. Never, you'd, never hear a, <laughs> you'd never hear a decent sin in 25 years. But uh, I, I finally surrendered to the Lord. And I said in one of my prayers, listen, resurrected people are alive. Live people can speak. She married someone who has a secure job. We have a mortgage. We have two little kids. If you're really asking me to go to this faith, it really was a faith ministry with homeless kids that most people don't believe exist, you tell her. I'm not going to say a word. Two days later, I was eating breakfast and Mel said, you know, honey, I've been praying. I think, I hadn't said a word, not a word. I've been praying. I think that one day you'll be asked to go full time into this homeless youth work and I think God wants us to do that. The cornflakes fell back out of my mouth into the bowl. It was my first, one of my last experience. But I want you to have that experience. This series is about you having that experience. We want you to go deeper. We want you to take the leap of faith. We don't want you to take the leap of folly or presumption or foolishness. So how do you pick it out? Well, let me just very quickly give you a few things that have helped me with the prayer that they'll help you, and then I'm going to ask you to jump. So be warned, when we finish today, we're going to give you a chance to stop standing on the end of the diving board. But I want you to know all these things first. Number one, just be honest. Simply be honest. Those prayers of mine, when I look back on them now, those first ones, <laughs> um, it's almost embarrassing now, theologically up the spout. But do you know what they were? They were as passionately honest as I had ever been. I was just simply being in the mess that I was before God. I was doing what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. You move from your doubt to his love. See, I was really, in a sense, praying the Psalms. I love the way Eugene Peterson says, the Psalms are not polite. The Psalms are not nice. The Psalms actually prove to us we're not meant to be nice before God. He says, not at all. We offer ourselves just as we are. So just be honest. I want to trust you, Lord. Been on the path a long time. I'm really I'm beating myself up because I can't trust you. I'm called to forgive and I don't think I can. Just let it be before him. He knows anyway, by the way. He's not going to go, oh my goodness, when did that happen? 
Secondly, be discerning. You've got to make sure it's the right diving board. You've got to make sure it's pointing in the right direction. The work we do at Women in the Word and the other Tuesday morning ladies group and the men's Bible study, all the stuff we do to study this book is vital. It just happens to be the first step. This, the, the process doesn't complete when you get into the book. It's when the book gets into you. But you can't get it into you until you know it's the right book. If the board's pointing in the wrong direction and you dive, you're going to hit the concrete and hurt yourself a lot. The Bible says the Son of God has come in 1 John 5, it's on the screen. He's come and given us understanding, discernment, so that we can know him who is true. And isn't it wonderful that the word on the back wall there is together. We don't have to do it on our own. I'm working through something at the moment and I have a group of trusted, mature Christians that I bounce things off and they pray for me and together we discern what God is saying. Pray for God to bring those people to you, especially if it's a big leap. But by the way, just be careful for the people who like to mentor and therefore they like to keep you dependent on them because they're meeting their own needs and that's not helpful. But the people who point you to Jesus and leave you, that they're your friends on the journey while you work out what he's really saying to you. Number three, be at peace with mystery. See, I am a fallible, finite person encountering an infallible, infinite God. It's like a bug walking across the control panel at NASA when they're about to launch a rocket and trying to work out how the system works. On steroids, God is so much more unfathomable, unknowable, unpowerful and limitless than NASA. So I have to understand, I don't understand. I love it when God says to Job, now Job, when I created the universe, I don't recall you being there. Uh, I don't think I asked for your advice in how to do it. And that beautiful verse in Deuteronomy, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those which are revealed, the Holy Spirit resurrects us. Revealed belong to us and our children. So as you go deeper into Jesus, you constantly find out, God, you are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. Couple of things. Number one, I believe beyond my logic, but not in the face of it. I don't believe in fairies at the bottom of the garden or the giant pumpkin. God gave me a mind and I use it. But when I come to the end of reasoning, I'm not there. There's still that leap. It's beyond, not in the face of. And at that point, when I've done the thinking, it's not an intellectual exercise anymore. Let me tell you two people who I think were comfortable with mystery. Story is told locally of a, a worker in high vis that would come in about a, around noon and just sit in the front of a church and look at the crucifix, the cross. About 45 minutes later, he would go, day after day after day. In, in, in the end, the priest just had to know, so he stopped him on the way out and said, look, excuse me, I don't want to pry, but I've noticed you've come in for several days. And the guy said, oh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a construction crew. I get my lunch, I can, I can eat my lunch in the first 15 minutes and I just come down here, go back when I have to resume work. What do you do? And he said, oh, I, I just sit and look at him. He looks at me. Comfortable with mystery. 
Another one is from Edmund O'Farrell. He was leading a, a retreat in Bolivia and was told by a priest who'd come from Ireland, I was in Ireland, it was coming on dusk, I was walking in the lane and I came along a, a, an older gentleman, a lovely man, who we was just chatting and thoroughly enjoying the chat and it started to suddenly rain intensely, huge storm. So we dived into a shelter. Storm was so loud we couldn't speak, so he said, I noticed this old man just popped out a little worn prayer book and he started praying, kind of just mumbling quietly, but he said his face was radiant. So when the rain eased, this priest said to the old man, you obviously love to pray. And the old man said, oh yes, the father is very fond of me. And that's what Edmund O'Farrell called his book. The father is very fond of me. Be comfortable with mystery. And finally, the scripture actually tells us how to handle doubts. Book we don't preach from a lot, the book of Jude. Jude verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. That word merciful talks about God's compassion. Receive God's compassion in your doubt. He's not pointing a finger at you. He's got his nail-scarred hands open to you like they were to Thomas. Be merciful to you and let God's mercy flow through you to others. Don't correct them. Don't teach them. Don't be a thoroughly obnoxious Holy Spirit deputy sheriff. The Spirit can do His work, especially when you're gracious and answer with gentleness and compassion, considering yourself and your own struggles with faith. It's insecurities that make us feel superior. So what about taking that dive, folks? For those of you who aren't sure, don't. Find those Christians, go back to the scriptures, set time aside with Jesus until you do know. But many of you sitting in this room, you know. You know it's not I can't, it's I won't. <laughs> I had to speak at the uh, Roland Keswick Convention some years back, many, many, many years ago. Our boys were very young and the, to the topic was faith and I was thinking, Lord, will you just give me an illustration of faith that's, that's not somebody else's? And he took me back to our boys when they were tiny and particularly Brett. What happened was they were escaping from their safety cots. Parents of our vintage will remember those, those little prisons we used to put our children in to sleep. Well, he was escaping, and they were causing mayhem in the room. The Dipsy Doodle demolition duo were in full flight, and so I thought, I'm going to hide and find out who's getting out and how they're doing it. So I did, and it was Brett, and he got out, and then went across to his brother's cot, his twins, and shook it, but Paul was not interested in waking up. So Brett climbed up Paul's cot and then up from Paul's cot on top of the wardrobe. Then he found the Monopoly, so he was sitting on top of the wardrobe, throwing the Monopoly money down and watching it float and thinking, yeah, that's really interesting. At this stage, I thought it was time to take action. So I emerged from my hiding place, ready to give the Gettysburg Address, this is not appropriate, and he saw me, saw his father. So he said, do. now twins develop their own language before they learn ours, uh, wise parents learn theirs and uh, he said Ditu meant daddy so he went Ditu and then he jumped so I went from this to this but when I was re back preparing for Keswick the Lord said to me Graham he didn't jump and then call daddy he waited till he saw his dad but as soon as he saw his dad he jumped because he knew his dad would catch him if you're seeing your dad, why aren't you jumping? 
Don't jump if you don't see him. But many of you right now, you know it's him. You say, oh, come on. You're only imprisoning yourself. I love Garrison Keillor. I want to finish with a quote of his. Easter, resurrection, Thomas, <laughs> Easter is that time of year when Christians ask themselves two questions. Do I really believe this stuff? And if I do, why do I live this way? Let's pray. And if the worship team would come back. The Holy Spirit hasn't prompted me to do anything particular this morning or to get you to raise your hand or stand up or so I'm not going to. And if I've got it wrong, I'm sorry and he will forgive me. I think what we're meant to do is in a moment right now to respond. Let me say again, unless you're sure, take the time to be sure. But for so many, that's not the point. The point is, I'm at least going to take the first leap and say, Lord, I'm leaping and I'll keep checking things as I go and please show me because he said, my sheep will hear my voice. This doubt, this sin, this doing things your own way will not have dominion over you because you are not under law. You are under grace. He says... I will make you. Follow me. I will make you. You are not what you call yourself. You are not what others call you. You are not a biological accident. You are a creation of God with a destiny. If you jump, then clay becomes linked with divine destiny. Follow me. Peter, get out of the boat. It is me. Peter wasn't stupid. He didn't say, well, I'll jump out of the boat and see. He said, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come. This moment is for those of you who know Jesus is saying, come on, come on. I want you free. When we built the new enclosure for the lions in the zoo many years ago, for weeks they wouldn't leave the concrete because that's all they'd known. But eventually they put one paw on the grass and now they run all through that enclosure and just love it. Massive freedom they didn't have before. He says to you, come. Lord Jesus, as we sing this final song, that hope has a name, the name of Jesus, give us the grace to go deeper. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.